This show is brought to you by Drift Outfitters in Toronto at 199 Queen Street East. Drift is remaining open during these difficult times, but with a new way of getting you your fly fishing goods without allowing customers into the shop. Visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to order products and take advantage of free shipping across Canada on orders over 100 bucks. Why not help them out during this difficult time for small businesses? Give them a shout out on Instagram. Got a great photo to share? Tag at Drift Outfitters. Also, you can tag your fly tying picks with hashtag self-isolation to show your friends and your followers how you're spending your downtime. Giving Drift more exposure and love right now is one way we can help keep them going. These are tough times, and we must find a way to continue supporting our community store. Visit driftoutfitters.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of SoFly. It is, uh, it's trout opener. Can you believe it? April 25th and we're not on the water. We're in the studio. Uh, my name is Mitch and we've got Aldo. Hello. We got Yelma. Hey everyone. We've got a very special guest on the show today. Uh, repeated guest. Uh, this is the third time for Joe on the show. Joe, thank you so much for coming back uh, to, talk, to talk trout opener with us. Welcome. Thank you. So thank I, feel, you. I feel honored because this is my first episode with you, Joe. Is it? Yeah, I, I can't. I, I I can't remember. It was so long ago. So I think the well, last one was episode eight. It was it really? Eh? Yes. Yeah. So you were so much so much younger then, Mitch. I know. Look <laughs> at me now. <laughs> I got a better microphone now, though. That's for sure. <laughs> I remember when the last time we recorded, we had the snowball microphone, USB microphones, and we were oh man, all the levels were all over the place. Good episodes though. But uh, thanks yeah. for coming back to uh, to talk again with us. We're going to talk today. Obviously, it's trout opener. Um, and, uh, very interesting trout opener because none of us are on the water and we're, uh, in fact, staying inside because of this COVID thing that's popping around. Um, so it's a strange time for us to be, uh, podcasting, but we're going to make the most of it. We're going to talk about trout openers from over the years and some of our best memories. And Joe's been trout fishing Southern Ontario openers for, I don't know, how long, Joe, how long has it been? Over 40 years. So there's a lot of good memories in there. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, it's, you, you, you kind of, when you look at trout season, you have to divide it into uh, pre-internet and internet uh, because the, the whole spirit of the day um, are, is drastically different in those times. Certainly as a, as a young boy, uh, you know, being 12 or 13, the first days that I remember about trout season were always filled with mystery and anticipation. Uh, you know, you, you just couldn't wait to get on the river and, and try all the things that you would, you would, you know, dreamt about over the winter. And, uh, you know, the very first ones I remember were my dad, who was not a, a sport fisherman in any sense of the word, would sort of grudgingly get up very early in the morning, put me in his car, drive me to any piece of water that he thought existed, proceed to chain smoke a pack of cigarettes <laughs> on the bank. And let me flail away and try all the things that I had read about in the library and uh, in magazines. Not that successful in those early days. But uh, as I got a little older uh, and started to be able to go out and try different things, I first realized that trout season for me, the opening day of trout season, kind of divided into two areas. One was resident trout and the other one was lake run trout Mm -hmm. because there is a whole culture around both those kind of things that are unique. Uh, 
So, you know, uh, for growing up near Lake Erie, uh, naturally it was all about lake run trout. So you would uh, proceed to the river and, uh, you know, start to fish for these steelhead, which at the time were, which are at the time finished spawning and they're usually called dropbacks. Um, that's why the trout season is on the day it is, is to protect them because they're spring spawners, right. is to protect them and allow them to complete spawning and then begin the journey to the river. Yeah. In those early days, what determined your success was the water levels. So if you had a lot of rain before the trout season opened, mm-hmm. it usually flushed the river of a lot of those post-spawn fish. They, did, they would go back to the lake. Mm-hmm. But as the case may be, and just like this year, I have the feeling uh, the water wasn't high enough to get them from the headwaters back to the lake. They pool up in these big, um, you know, pools, if you will, these big suspended pods of fish. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, we as a horde descend upon them and begin to fish for them. So uh, I remember there was one time on the Wilmot Creek uh, where I showed up uh, and uh, went to fish this one beaver beaver pond area on the river, which yeah. trapped probably 40 to 60 steelhead, all suspended like cordwood. Oh, man. And, uh, and I remember I was fishing bait back then, and I remember casting my, uh, you know, getting there at, at, you know, sunrise. At that time, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah Casting my float with uh, a worm on it. And as the float drifted down into the pool into where the fish were there were so many fish that the float actually lay down because the line could not get through the density of fish Jesus. and uh and then i thought to myself what do i do do i pull it or you know naturally it was almost impossible not to foul hook a fish those are the kind of things that uh, i remember back then Mm -hmm. the other thing too which is very popular with lake run fish was trout season technically opens at midnight right yeah so in a lot of those eastern streams, Saugeen River, a lot of these places, people would actually begin their journey to the river at 11.30, stand at their favorite spot with their clock. In some places, you'd hear a horn, you'd hear guys yell, <laughs> and then everybody at nighttime with their lanterns would start to fish at midnight, and they'd fish all night. <laughs> That's so good. And in some of, those, uh, some of those places, it was around the clock. So you would have, uh, you know, there was a pool on the Wilmont uh, right on the highway. And you could drive by there at nighttime and it looked like a football game. Yeah. There would be lights, fires, and people mm. just fish around the clock for these fish that are waiting for the water to come up mm-hmm. and return to the lake. Yeah. Uh, so resident trout was a different story altogether. It was, it was Resident trout for me was more, um, it was very hard to catch resident trout on opening day because um, they just were much, much harder. Yeah, uh, and much fewer, and they weren't as easy to get at. Um, but there was a more romantic aspect to it uh, for stream trout. So, and I have fished stream trout, resident trout with uh, with you fellas mm-hmm. on opening day, and you you can see how it is. You you know you get your gear on, you go down to the river, you make that first cast, and there's just there's nothing like it. Oh, there's yeah. you know the rest of the year, you all know it. It's the yeah. best, yeah. man. Such a good feeling. Yeah. So, but now post internet, it's completely different. Now yeah. you can pretty much know everything that's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit of the romance and mystery is, a, you know, I think not there, but, um, but it, you know, it still has the excitement for sure. 
And of course, we're talking about internet forums and and posting on its social media and people saying, oh, go to this place, go to that place. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And uh, that's what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not quite the same as, you know, waiting all winter, calling a couple of friends and saying, have you heard, have you heard, mm -hmm. then driving there. And then there's that whole thing. Is the log still there? Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, is, is the pool changed? Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to try this right. technique now. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as anything, we lament the, the, the loss of romance, but I mean, it's still, I'm still just as excited yeah. as I ever was to get out and fish trout. Yeah. Um, but it's different for sure. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be uh, hordes of people going out this trout opener? What do you think? I do. I think you will see, I mean, for example, if you have a private property and you have a trout stream on your property, yep. there's no reason why you can't walk out and fish trout. Yep. Um, it'll be up to your discretion to let friends into that. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to impose on my friends who have trout streams. No. Uh, I just don't feel it's right to sort of call them up and say, Hey, I'm, yeah, I'm going to come up and, uh, you know, I, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. uh, but I do think that there, you know, there's a lot of open water. It's just when people find the access as we, as we talked about earlier, the little crack through the door, if you will, mm -hmm. um, there will be lots of people out. I think so for sure. Yeah. And, you know, those times I told you about on the rivers where you have pools, like on the Gataraska, where you have pools where you'll have 300 fish stacked, social distancing will definitely be an issue. It, yeah. I mean, the traditional idea of opening day trout season on streams like that are, if you will, the term shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, totally. Right. Oh, right. yeah. So what is, what is shoulder to shoulder going to look like in this environment? I mean, it will be there. Yeah. Well, it's funny uh, you unless, say Unless the government says or the municipalities say you can't fish at the river, we won't let you park. Yeah, exactly. And put up the no yeah. parking signs. Um, yeah, you sent me a picture a little uh, couple days ago of a pen uh, trout opener with yep. someone wearing a mask. Yeah. And it's this yeah, new kind yeah. of reality we're looking at, I think. Eh? Well, I think that they feel there as, as they do. It's inherent in their culture that it's their right. So, you know, no one's going to stop me from fishing and, you know, there'll be some people, you know, fishing with masks. A trout season opener in the U.S. is, is, is a bit different than it is here. It's earlier, mm -hmm. for one thing. Um, the government heavily stocks and advertises those areas where they are stocking. Mm -hmm. So, again, if you want to create crowds in this environment, dumping 5,000 hungry trout into one spot is certainly going to create way. crowds. It's a good way to do it. <laughs> it's a good way to do it for sure. So in Ontario, it's less so. They do they do stock, but they don't quite advertise it like they do in the U.S. There's not a big arrow saying, go here, there's 5,000 trout. Yeah. So, well, uh, okay. Well, maybe we jump to um, the phenomenon that is Southern Ontario trout opener. And um, why don't we go back to uh, how it started for you? You touched on it a little bit, pre-internet and talking yep. about, you know, um, going down and, and not really knowing what the heck you were doing. But why don't we go back to the early trout openers um, and, and just dig into them a little bit more. Was it as packed as it was nowadays? No, not resident trout. Right. There was a civility and uh, a difference in that side of the sport that was evident in, in resident trout. I always remember going to a river and uh, as a kid, uh, you know, riding my bike uh, or in some instances driving my car uh, getting to the spot that I was going to fish and the area I was going to fish, you walk out there. Um, and anglers generally would not come and fish near you. They would leave this pool for you and walk around you and continue on. I remember that tremendously. 
Um, What I did do though, uh, you know, when I was 15, 16, is I did try to go to places where I knew there would be more experienced anglers. Right. And I would learn tremendously. So, you know, you look at the, uh, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you look at the places you go and you, you could just see a fly fisherman who knew what he was doing. Um, and as a kid, a lot of times I would pretend to fish, but actually I was watching and learning right. and seeing what they were doing. Um, those were magical times because it was all still a mystery. The sport still had this sort of mystical aspect to it, which um, I found very intriguing. Uh, the trout usually back then were very, in my, in my experience anyways, they were very small, but they seemed big, like a 12-inch yeah. rainbow trout. Mm-hmm seemed enormous yeah totally uh and uh there wasn't there was a lot more small fish um and uh you know so uh i remember one time um one of the early trout seasons i went to with my dad there used to be a place in normandale uh, ontario called the uh, saint williams forestry area and they had a series of trout ponds that they that they uh, kept yeah and uh, and i remember going there uh, with my fly rod with my dad. And of course my dad sitting on the bank with a coffee and smoking cigarettes and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and myself trying to cast, uh, you know, woolly buggers and strip them in. Um, beside me was a group of about six or seven gentlemen casting, uh, uncle Josh single eggs that came in jars from Canadian tire. Uh, and they were catching one trout after another. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I did not catch anything so my dad proceeded to tell me that i was not very bright and uh, <laughs> i should maybe think of doing something else with uh, my spare time <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know, those are the times <laughs> yeah so um uh, i also remember too as well um you know a lot of those early days in fishing uh, trout streams there was because the internet wasn't there there was not a lot of knowledge about streams yeah. everybody it was they were easy to be, to discover a spot where no one fished. So, yeah. it, you know, it was easy to find uncrowded situations. Uh, you didn't have to look very far to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as the, as it opened up, as, you know, I, I remember trout seasons starting to become more crowded uh, in areas uh, around major cities. Uh, so, of course, the credit used to be not that crowded. And then all of a sudden the credit started to become crowded. Yeah. Um, there was a river in, uh, near a town called Port Dover that I used to fish. Um, and I don't mind naming it, uh, because it needs friends clearly. Um, it was a stream called Lynn river mm-hmm. and, uh, Lynn river started in the town of Simcoe and went all the way to Lake Erie. It surprisingly oh, wow. had a great yeah. natural, uh, rainbow trout population that had been introduced in that and then took hold. Yeah. Some I, of the I, feeder I, streams going into it had, uh, wild brook trout. So, uh, I had many, uh, a great opening day fishing that stream. I would walk, uh, to the river, you know, pick a spot that I liked and, and and had great success doing that with friends that I had at the time. Joe, um, I actually, I think I went on that river, um, about two years ago. Um, and I saw a couple of brookies and a huge brown, I believe. Oh, a brown. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful stream. Yeah. Well, it's it's a great that you bring that up because when I was growing up, it was predominantly brook trout and rainbow trout, which mm-hmm. have a, a real 
a real need for a certain water quality. Um, and br- there was a few brown trout that local sportsmen's organizations would stock. But as the water quality declined over time and became more marginal, the rainbow trout disappeared right. from harvest and from you know yeah, less no. favorable conditions, as the brook trout did. But brown trout do better in that kind of marginal water quality. And there today, that population still exists. Yeah. The brown trout thrive there. They're not very big, um, but they thrive there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing too I remember about early trout days was if you most of the time if you caught it you yeah. killed it yeah eh? yeah it was you never you never let anything go I mean I'm talking you know 35 40 years ago it was like oh yeah it's yeah. you know you had your little tape measure and if it was over the legal limit it was it was in the it was in the bag or exactly. on the chain you know as yeah. they say yeah. Uh, so right. yeah, no, it's funny how that changes. I, I remember that very clearly. Yeah, yeah. I know it's catch and release is like the the standard now. You know, I mean, in a lot, yeah, of, in a, for a lot of fly anglers. Well, it is, and and it's not because in it, like when you consider trout fishing and you know the, the whole idea of trout opener, mm-hmm. uh, it's a great barometer on how the the health of the population is from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, citing Lynn River, there was a little stream that went into Lynn River that had wild brook trout, and it was nothing to go every time you went and get your limited brook trout Yeah, right. uh, on a fly rod. And then I progressively, I was one of the few people that fished it because not a lot of people knew about it. Well, taking, you know, uh, your harvesting fish every time you went, progressively, it, it, it became harder and harder to find brook trout on that stream. And I came to the realization that although I loved eating trout, um, I would rather I would rather buy my trout than take them through harvest because the, the couldn't there wasn't enough trout to sustain that. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. that, that's really the idea behind catch and release. There, it's not about the sport of, the, of just catching fish and letting them go. It is about preserving mm-hmm. the population for the future. Yeah, there is a fu- very functional benefit to it, right? I mean, if everybody's yeah. harvesting, then like you say. Rivers like the Lynn River get hit, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. See it happen see all it. over. Well, the classic story, I remember one trout opener, I went there to this spot by a bridge, which I had gone many times in previous openers in years past. And I, I ran into a, a local angler there who was fishing worms at the time. And he said to me, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. How are you? Fine. I go, have you got any luck today? He goes, no. He says, I, I haven't touched a fish. He goes, you know, I used to be able to come here years ago and I would get three or four rainbow trout in the 18, 20 inch, like three pounds. And he goes, I can't. And I would take them home and they would be delicious. <laughs> I cannot catch trout here anymore. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't, I don't know, know why. why. Right? So what do you say, right? Yeah. You, you can't yeah. say anything. You, yeah. you know, it is. It is that for sure. Yeah. I think the other thing I remember about opener, uh, the early openers, um, more so now than then is the amount of garbage. Really? Oh, it uh, the early openers less so. Yeah. Uh, because people were spread out more because there was no way to know where things are. Yeah. Uh, but I would say a big difference between then and now is is because of the way media concentrates people in certain areas. Yeah. Um, it also it, it's just the amount of garbage and the kind of garbage you get. Right. So, you know, on an opener, people will go, they'll bring a, a barbecue, they'll bring a case of beer, they'll bring all these things. And most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, they're not that, you know, aware of removing the garbage. I mean, certainly some do, yeah. but you can see it. 
like, and you can see how, uh, that's the other thing I remember, the early trout uh, days that I would go to, you would approach the river and the bank was not really worn out heavily, yeah. uh, you know, mm. because there just wasn't the pressure that was there. Nowadays you go and it's like the surface of the moon after the first week. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like a park, a trodden park. There's trails and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. The other thing too, the early trout days that I remember growing up, um, the techniques that we used then were a little more naive. You know, I'd go and swing a wet fly or I'd go and mm-hmm. fish a weighted nymph, uh, not probably as efficient as you would nowadays because, again, you have media, you have uh, platforms in the internet that all educate you on how to be more efficient. But yeah. back then it was more, you know, I'm going to get skunked 30 times and then, oh, I caught a fish, I learned, and I figured it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it was more, I was on you to figure it out, trial and error, and learning from books and things like that and just going and doing it. It's great you bring that up. Uh, I remember uh, one of the trout openers that I went to. Again, like I told you earlier, I used to love to go and f- and find experienced fly anglers and watch them and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those old crusty guys, they wouldn't give you anything. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Totally. I, I would. I remember there was one uh, fly fisherman, and I and uh, he caught a really nice trout. I remember, and I was amazed. He was fishing a back then. He was fishing two wet flies. And uh, uh, in tandem, a brace, as they say. And I remember he got a really nice brown trout, about 14 inches, and it looked 24 inches to me at the time. Yeah. And of course, I uh, got brave enough and I ran up to him uh, as he was landing it and he let it go. And I asked him, I said, oh, that's a beautiful fish. He said, yeah. And then I said, uh, you know, what did you get it on? He goes, well, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, I, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the uh, and I I appreciate that. Like yeah. uh, you know, you know, it's it's the way it is, right? But then I've had other f- uh, fly fishermen on opening days. I remember I had one couple, um, really nice couple before I knew how to drive. One opener. I think it was in 1976. They took us to fish the Denny's Dam on the Saugeen River. Yeah. Right. Yeah an opener. And that was the first time I had ever seen the spectacle of 300 people in a stretch of water on opening day. Oh man. Uh, it was like a circus and, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I waited out and got in line between everybody else and just started casting, uh, ridiculously and not, didn't catch anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember, uh, you know, seeing that and thinking, my God, this is like this is like, you know, the CNE. <laughs> yeah. That was my first experience on, you know, seeing what some, the scale of some trout openers were Jeez, like. That's crazy for trout opener. Eh? Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I mean, we, we say there are lots of people come down to, you know, the places we go, but it's not like that. I mean, it's not like Pulaski salmon fishing, salmon season. You've done you know? that. Yes. Yeah. You've done yeah. that. That is, yeah. that is like that. We always hear shoulder to shoulder. And it's like, though it is really, you know, guys wearing baseball helmets because the weights are flying over their heads, you know, like it's, yeah. Yeah. Pulaski yeah and, is something else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the thing is too, with trout opener too, as well, especially if it's lake run fish, yeah. these fish have all spawned. They are now in a mood to eat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they, they are, you know, it's, it, there's a chance for you to get them for sure. It, it, they're a little more uh, easier to get in that regard. Mm-hmm. With resident trout, I always uh, tried. And over the years, as I got to understand insect hatches better, 
and yeah. water temperatures and that kind of thing. I started having more success to fly fishing on opening day doing that. Uh, yeah. And usually uh, the thing I realized, you know, I started to be in the 80s when I started to get, get out in trout openers that, you know, fish on opening day at that time, you're not going to be really casting a lot of dry flies. Uh, so unless, you know, unless you had a, a particularly warm, warm spring. Right. Uh, so, um, but uh, I remember there was one opener in, I think it was 1982 or 83. I can't remember, but it was one of those times where I went to a stream, uh, called the Beaver river, which is up, um, mm -hmm. up near Collingwood. I think it is. Yep. Uh, and I was stupid enough at the time. I thought, well, I, I just can't take it. I'm going to go and I'm going to be there at midnight. Oh, nice. So I remember driving all the way up there and scouting it out and then saying, okay, that's, I slept in my car. Uh, I said, you know, I checked my watch. It's midnight. I walked down to the stream. There are flashlights. You see people in different spots. And I found a spot. And uh, I proceeded to start fishing there with my fly ride in the dark, thinking, you know, of course, you're naive at the time, thinking I'm going to catch a fish at nighttime on my fly rod, which, which you could do. Yeah. Um, but uh, I spent the, 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 at night fishing, casting in the dark, uh, a woolly bugger over and over again and uh, didn't get anything. It kept, it kept getting snagged yeah. over and over again. <laughs> so, and then I, uh, when the sun finally came up, I realized and looked at where I was casting and it was probably only about six inches deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I thought, well, that was not very bright. <laughs> <laughs> but you're excited, you know, how can you? Can't fight well, that. yeah, it is. Exactly. It, it is. Uh, so, um, but I remember, you know, uh, the, the first trout, I think the first trout opener I ever fished and saw with Mitch, it was uh, up on the upper credit, I think, wasn't it, Mitch? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was the classic morning of going and getting skunked, and then going to flapjacks and eating way too many bacon and eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that. I think it's opener. a good, interesting point to make. Like the two kind of camps when it comes to trout opener. I, I, I always get drawn to resident trout, but I, I almost kind of forget about steelhead. Yeah, you know, at that time, yeah. I, I usually tried. I usually, I'm always so ready for that romance of the smaller stream. Mm -hmm. and and brown trout well yeah i i mean there are situations although you're absolutely right where the two collide mm -hmm. right where you have fish that have reached the headwaters and they and they're post-spawn and they're suspended and then you have resident trout there as well right yep uh and you if you know you can fish and catch either one in that situation and, and that's fine but a lot of times if you know if success is what you what you really want people seek out those big holding pools yes uh, and like I say, if you go to the Eastern Tribs right now, uh, and you see some of those big pools on the Ganaraska, the one pool there they call the file hole, which is an old factory. Uh, it's a huge pool. It'll have 300 steelheads suspended like cordwood. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such a spectacle to see without question. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, speaking of which, uh, I got a, a video from my buddy yep. and I shared it with Mitch and Aldo. And there was about, I would say, what? 50 look like steelheads and in, in, in a pool just, just yeah waiting. that's exactly what i'm talking about uh yoma that's exactly what i'm talking about so in this environment with covid and all that stuff uh that is a dangerous situation yeah 
right? You, you know, it, mm -hmm. when people see fish in that kind of situation, something happens to their head. <laughs> something they forget. They forget about everything, and they just do the weirdest things. Yeah. You know, I remember I was on the Brawny Creek one year and I remember fishing, um, casting to, uh, this was an opening day and there was dropbacks, just like uh, Yilma was describing. And I remember um, I found a little pool. There was, you know, maybe eight or nine steelhead suspended in it. And I began to sort of figure out what fly and drift through there with my fly without trying to harm the fish or foul hook the fish. Yeah. Um, and two fishermen came up walking up the center of the river. And I thought, that's really odd. Why wouldn't they walk on the path? But they were sort of walking, following the contours of the river. And when they got to where I was, they stopped and looked at me and smiled and nodded. And then they looked and they could see the fish suspended. Well, what do you think they did? The one guy took his two-handed net and his other friend began to sort of walk around the edge of the bank and spook the fish so they would run down toward where he was with his net. And he scooped one up. Jesus. And I'm standing there on the bank thinking to myself, did this just happen? Like, no one would believe me if I described it. And mm -hmm. he smiled, and, uh, and the two of them turned around, and they start laughing and slapping each other. On the back. Why, why, use a, why use a rod? <laughs> like, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, it's something that you would only see on opening day. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, that's the other thing, too, I remember about opening days. While I you know, sought to see people that knew what they were doing, it also drew out uh the you know philistines if you will the people that didn't believe or didn't understand and only fished once a year yeah yeah uh so uh and those are the ones that you know really don't know how to you know they sort of yeah how to share a river and uh they don't really understand that so mm -hmm. uh, the, those are scary <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like um going to going to the gym after new year's and everybody has their oh, reservations yeah. that's a great analogy <laughs> yeah. it is a great analogy it is kind of like that it's like i'm going to go until this is the year i learn how to fish yeah. <laughs> and they show yeah. up they show oh, up yeah. to the river and catch nothing catch anything and i also uh, think that's a great point too as well that in that situation i always remember too it opening day of trout season it, it, it's not a fly fisherman's day or a bait fisherman's day or a hardware fisherman's day. It brings them all together. It brings all these techniques mm -hmm. together in one mm -hmm. particular situation. And then you have different ideas and cultures kind of clashing. So you have yeah. me trying to cast my fly to these fish. And then you have another guy who comes in with a giant uh, piece of hardware and he casts through the pool. Then you have another guy who wants to cast his rod and put it with his worm and put it on a stick. Uh, <laughs> opening day of trout season is probably the only day of the year that you get a high propensity of that for sure. Yeah. yeah. All the anglers together in one place doing their thing. And, and techniques. Yeah. Right. Excellent. And they all have a right to be there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. So how, how do you do that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. And also like, how do you not, <clears throat> excuse me, scare somebody away from a sport that you know, we all love to like yeah. opening day of a, a new fly angler shows up to the river, like, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It would suck if they got intimidated and instead of excited, you know? That's a great point. Uh, that's a great point. And uh, how do we do that, right? How do we bring people into the sport um, and for them to be compassionate and understanding? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you do that? Yeah. 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 
uh, you know, instead of like a, a noob showing up to the river and then having people like give him the side eye, being like, "Oh, look at this guy." Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's happened. Oh, for it's sure. <laughs> oh, it happens to me now, and, and I owe people, you know, you know what your gramps. You don't know what you're doing. So, and even more so now. That's the other thing too, as well. For me, fly fishing, it's just not enough to catch a fish. There's a certain aesthetic that I like in the technique that you use. Yeah. And it just happens to be that a lot of times the techniques that I use are things from the past, swinging a wet fly perhaps, or mm-hmm. casting a dry fly. Uh, so you get young anglers, your own infers, and people that are really smart and really good at what they do. When they look at you, do they look at you and say, there's a person who respects tradition, or they look at you and say, there is a person that is missing half their brain. Yeah. I know it's true. It's a good point you hit on, actually. Um, April Voki did a show a little while back um, with uh, with a fella, um, and they were talking about um, respect for people that came before in fly fishing and how there's this there's a pretty big culture right now because there's so many people, I think, getting into it that are almost um, forgetting about, you know, the history and traditions that came before and kind of like it's their way is the right way, you know, and it's a weird sort of thing to happen in fly fishing. Oh, it is very much so. Uh, uh, when I, uh, when I went to fish spring Creek in Pennsylvania, um, one of the great, um, one of the great fly bamboo fly rod builders of all time was a a man by the name from Michigan called Paul Young. His rods are quite valuable. And, uh, I actually found a place on spring Creek where he used to uh, go on a regular basis and stand and fish. And I, I went and found that spot and actually stood in this exact spot that he did and That's cast cool. a bamboo rod. And it was that to me is that that's where I find joy in the sport, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that to me is what I look for. And that's, you read books all winter long, you read about history and then a trout for me is to go and, you know, sort of relive that romance and create yeah. your own moments. In exactly. That. Exactly. Fly fish, so much of fly fishing is about the history of it and learning mm-hmm. techniques from people that, you know, came before and, um, and learned the rivers and had these moments on the rivers. And it's a, such a, it's a, such a, a, a deeply historical experience in a way. So it's strange that there's this culture that's just completely throwing that out and saying like, oh, you just got to do, you know, this stuff. It's, it's a weird thing that happens. I don't know why. Well, I, it's a great point. Uh, it's a great point. I, I there was one particular spur, uh, trout opener. I remember it was in the, it was in the, early nineties or late eighties. I can't remember. And I, and I remember I had now become pretty good at nymphing and I understood how to, you know, how to get the, the, you know, the, the present the fly at the level of the fish in that water level at that time of year. And I had, was having some success. And I remember showing up uh, on, uh, it was at the credit river at the time. And, um, and there was a, an old fly fisherman that I knew, knew, knew there. And he, you know, he fished a bamboo fly rod. He fished a wet fly, he would never put any any weight on his line at all because in his mind, uh, that was not what he envisioned the sport to be. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, uh, you know, showing up and saying, I had a great morning. I, he said, I've got six browns. I said, I had one that was like 16 inches. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said, and what did you use? I said, well, I used a nymph and I showed him and I had this weight. He goes, my God. He goes, that is so barbaric. <laughs> and I, I didn't feel insulted. I actually yeah. felt kind of inspired. I thought, yeah. you know, I I kind of get what he's what he's getting at. You yeah. know, there, there's it's it, 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 there's so much joy in doing something. Fly fishing for me, casting a fly rod with lots of weight and big flies. Yeah, that's successful, and I think that's fine. 
but I don't get as much joy out of casting a fly rod with nothing on it except a mono leader and a dry fly mm-hmm. or a wet fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, there's a, an art uh, and an, a feeling that you get from that. And then when a fish, you know, graces itself with its presence and uh, approaches your fly and takes it, it just feels good. It's just, yeah. for me, that's what, that's what I get joy out of. It's not saying it's right or wrong. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that's what mm-hmm. I strive for. And in the past, that's traditionally the way they would approach it. To them, it was more sport. Well, I think I think there are stages to the fly angler's life, you know? Like there are stages to what when you do certain things and in life and, and when you switch it up. And I think if everybody just respects, you know, the, the stages of a fly angler's life, that's great, you know? If you're, if you're having fun I- and... You're in a dry fly phase of your life, like that's awesome, you know. I think that's a good point, Mitch. I was, I was, I was gonna say, like, and Joe, I love the idea of finding joy, and I think, mm-hmm. Mitch, you hit a, hit on a good point there. I think now we do have so many, we are exposed to so many techniques, whether it be Euro nymphing or modern, you know, uh, streamer techniques or or what have you. That I hope that people, what I don't like is like it, like the like that judging of what people find joy in. It's like, if you want a Euro nymph with a squirmy worm, do it. If you want to cast nothing but dry flies, do it. Like what, yeah. what does it matter how people fish? Like, well, I don't, I don't understand the obsession of people judging the way other people fish. Of course, unless it's something to do with like the ethics of, you know, fish handling or whatever. Well, it's like, funny. That's a great point. You know, in it, it, it's sort of like the, you know, this idea of uh, elitism. Right. And it, it, it pollutes the sport where you have someone that says, I only want to fish dry flies and I only want to fish a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that are more have more uh, successful techniques like Euro nymphing, you know, they'll say, well, you just don't know what you're doing and you're just covering up the fact that you don't know how to catch fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that it does make people feel that way. If I say, well, I'm going to fish this way. Uh, it does make people feel bad and, and it happens to be more in fly fishing than anywhere else. And I, I think that's a shame because to Aldo's mm-hmm. point, we should say, you know, I really like watching you catch fish on squirmy worms, even though I'm not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but there'll be a time where if I go long enough without catching anything on a dry fly, <laughs> there's going to be handfuls of squirmy worms going into the river. So. 100%. It's, you know, I think, I think it is though, like it's a fine line, right? Because there's something to be said also about respecting tradition and, and having, um, having, having respect for, you know, what, what fly fishing is. I think that's an, another whole other thing, but all those, right. I mean, it's not a, don't put people down. It's just a, I don't know. It's this weird kind of fine. I don't line. think it's like, it's not about one or the other. I think it's both. And it's like you, mm-hmm. you, you learn the traditions from the past and you think that they're interesting and it's cool to know where the sport comes from oh, yeah. and yeah. where this, and how that those techniques of, you know, evolved other techniques and how maybe like swinging wet flies during like during a hatch is actually quite effective because you know, it, that, that was the first emerger pattern, if you will. Yes. Right? Yes, it was. Before like modern emerger patterns, like that's what a wet fly is. Yes. So they Good can, they still work and they still really work. They just, yeah, it's like you said, cycles of a fly fisherman's life. Like mm-hmm. I think like I've, I've really enjoyed your nymphing the past three years, but I'm probably going to, I, I feel myself getting away from it, mm-hmm. and wanting to learn you know, how to fish a streamer more effective, for example. Well, it's a great point. I remember, again, earlier trouts openers in, in those days, 
we used to do something called high stick nymphing, which was you have a long fly rod, you have nine feet, eight feet, um, and you would have very long leaders and you'd hold the rod up really high and you would drift through pools that way. It wasn't the most fun way to cast a fly rod, but it was highly efficient. The difference was then is that you had lo- uh, weight on the leader, not built into the fly. So mm-hmm. the presentation was harder to gauge the depth at which it is. Mm-hmm. Euronymphing takes that concept even further. So it takes longer rods, longer leaders, and it concentrates all the weight in the fly. Very efficient at getting down to the level of where fish are and you know, heavy, heavy water, especially in the spring. So, uh, but does it feel as much like classic fly fishing to me? Well, uh, you know, ask me if, if, if I'm having success dry fly fishing, then it doesn't. But if I'm getting skunked for three months, yeah. then Euronymphing is, is the great awesome. way to fish. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I know that's, that's the thing for me. It does come down to, uh, to that as well. Like, if, you're in a, if you're in the middle of a, an amazing dry fly hatch, like appreciate it, right? Take advantage of mm-hmm. it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, I think that's yeah. a great moment. That's yeah. one thing I think every fly angler can agree on is that ideally – Getting one on a dry fly is the best. Oh yeah, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's not old school. It to me, it is it is just a joy mm-hmm. to catch a trout on a dry fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember there was one opener specifically. I think it was about I think it was mid nineties, and I remember. Hendrickson's don't usually start till the the, the 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 Saturday after opener or even later than that. Um, but for this particular spring, it was very warm, and I remember going down to the river. And I really didn't know my insect hatches that well. And, uh, and I was nymphing and a fish rose. And I wasn't looking for bugs. Uh, a fish rose. And then another fish rose. And then another fish rose. Mm-hmm. And I had not made the, the connection between there was insects leaving the river and these fish were eating them. Yeah. Uh, and I remember uh, trying to figure out, figure out, figure out, and then I saw another f- a fly fisherman, an older guy, uh, downstream from where I was, and he started catching one after another. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him, uh, you know, at the time, I said, uh, when we were leaving the river, I said, you did really well. I said, what were you doing? He goes, what? I was casting, uh, fishing Hendrickson's. I go, you were fishing the what? He said, the, the, the Hendrickson's. He said, the, the, the mayflies. I said, mayflies? They were. Oh, I said, those were mayflies? Oh, oh, I get it. I said, I understand now. Thanks. I go, can I, uh, can I see your Hendrickson? He goes, ah, you don't want to see my Hendrickson. He goes, it's, yeah. That was the other thing that I really was like so obsessed with in the early days was everybody had a different Hendrickson pattern. Right. And, uh, and I wanted to see what everybody was just like because everybody Very fished good. them and had their own interpretation of what they looked like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, That's and funny. I mean, the pattern's, you you have your own Hendrickson patterns as well. Like, have they developed yes. over the years and changed over the years? Well, it, w- the way I fish Hendrickson's and specifically Hendrickson's, but more other, most other insect hatches now is if you look at history and you look at fly design, those flies were designed for different impressions in the water in different kinds of water quality. Yeah. So if you go and look at uh, a Comparadun, that fly fishes really, really well at its best, not always, but at its best in long, flat water situations where you need, a, you need a pattern that sits flush in the surface and creates the kind of light pattern that an insect would in that situation. Now, if you go to uh, the upper credit where you have choppy riffles, 
Catskill style flies that create an impression, they tend to work really well in those kind of situations. And then you have other patterns that his, history had sort of selected and said, this works and this kind. I tie them all. Yeah. So that's why you have a fly box. That's why you have a fly box with compartments. Yes. So, and when I approach the river, I say to myself, okay, this is a riffle. I'm going to use a Catskill kind of fly on this. It's probably going to work really well. If I'm on the Grand and you have those long, flat pools, like at the Trestle Bridge where Mitch caught that one trout on that he took the video of, yeah. well, flies that sit a little lower in the film and the sit flush, they'll probably present a better light impression and be more successful. History has shown that, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what you do. You read and you look at fly design, and it's just not some something coming out of someone's head. They've actually looked at the water, and they've had success that way. Yeah. And again, I think that is the point of, I think that a lot of those dry fly people, those older guys, the respect for dry fly fishing, it, you have, you have to be more in tune with what's going on and, and, and it's, it's case by case and trial and error. And there is a lot that goes into it. So you got to respect that. I mean, I love, I love all that stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you know, some of the great flies, if you look at Catskill flies and Art Flicks flies, mm -hmm. those flies are as effective now as they were then. If they were tied the way they were intended to be used. Right. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, that, that's the thing. Those flies still work in the, in the situation where the water quality is the same. Yes. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the key. So, I mean, you, you met Fran Betters. You, 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 you saw his fly that he tied and you saw the, the river, the Asabo that he, that he fished on. Yep. That fly mm -hmm. was designed to float like a cork in that, in that water. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Asabo wolf. It's a great yeah. fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I love that water. Oh my god, I'm just thinking about all the trout fishing places right now, and I'm dying. Guys, it's, I'm dying. It's it's good that you bring up New York because that was you know, growing up in Ottawa. Like when trout property came around, I was like, so what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have trout up there. I thought about that. So, That's a great point. Yeah. So we so I I've lived in the GTA now for eleven years, and it's really then that I got the fervor of of um totally. trout opener um for me trout opener meant going to new york upstate new york and fishing the shadow gate i couldn't wait to get on the shadow that's so cool the best yeah one. i i was thinking about mitch and i was thinking trout opener for him growing up was probably not that big of a deal it no. really wasn't no we grew up in ottawa not it wasn't <laughs> yeah. a thing it didn't exist the only the only thing i knew about trout opener was uh from the forums because I, I followed some of the yeah. southern ontario forums to see what was going on in here because i knew and interestingly was here. enough pulaski and pulaski <laughs> yeah and of course like you say upstate new york that was the place that we went mm -hmm. um opener wasn't a thing bass opener was always a thing that was always the mm -hmm. biggest deal but for me trout opener 1982 was the first year that i went and fished the eastern tributaries yeah. and those are streams like the Wilmot that run through Newcastle, mm -hmm. Bowmanville, Duffins. They run through these small towns. And the tr opener of trout season there was something much bigger than it was where I experienced it because it, it was they, the, the, the populations weren't concentrated in towns quite like they were there. Right. And uh, everybody, trout opener was a big deal for everybody, not just fishermen at the time. And I, I realized that when I fished the Wilmot in 1981 or 82, the first time I fished it on an opener mm -hmm. and seeing the, the townsfolks standing on the bridge, uh, like there was a crowd, there would be like 30 people that weren't fishermen that were just there watching yeah. the spectacle, if you will. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is a spectacle, right. you know, people don't know yeah. about it. It's like this underground fish miss that happens every year. And 
fish 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 fish. Fish. It's funny, 1982 was also the first time I had ever seen my first uh, opening day trout season fist fight. <laughs> 1982? Oh my God. Right? So, so you have happened? all these people concentrated in one pool, like the one uh, Yilma described. You have 60 people around this pool. Uh, you have one guy who uh, hooks a fish. He's fighting it. He yells fish on. He wants everybody to take their lines out. Of course, everybody doesn't. His line <laughs> goes through the pool, catches everybody's line. You have this ball of, of monofilament around this oh thing. God. And then you have another guy uh, uh, giving him shit because he's, he's taking too long to fight the fish. Next thing you know, the rod hits the ground. Next thing you know, there's two guys rolling around on the bank, <laughs> punching and fighting each other. And you have people on the bridge from the town laughing and yelling and saying, yeah, hit him, hit him. And it's, you have other people making food on the bank, watching this spectacle. And it's just chaos, you know, opening day of trout season. <laughs> Ontario. Keep, yes, keep it's like Catalina wine mixer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> the scene, man. Oh it is funny god. though. It is those. That's a good point. Um, I was reading that little article that um, CBC News put out about Southern Ontario trout opener. Yeah, <laughs> and um, the Pickering, uh, um, the pick, the Pickering or the White Vale, which is a little town near Duffins Creek. Yes, uh, a residents association. They're like, we love trout opener. This, people people come up the night before they're in our restaurants yeah. we're cooking food for them they're staying in our hotels they're like we would love for it to be happening it's just we just don't think it's the time you know yeah. the time so it is cool how those little towns in the eastern tributaries really yeah it's like a, it's an event yeah. well it is and yeah. you know and you go to the uh, local restaurant and there's people in there and waiters uh eating yeah. bacon and eggs uh oh yeah for sure it's it, it, like i say i never saw that where i came from uh mm-hmm. when i fished uh, sort of you know the lake erie trips it was only until i went there that i started to see how much because these these towns were they they were on these rivers the rivers were intrinsically connected to them as a, as a community yeah. uh and the and the, the the return of the fish to spawn was a big deal uh, so yeah, and it uh, to Aldo's point, yeah, it attracted a lot of people mm-hmm. from the U.S. from all over the place mm-hmm. to go and fish for these trout on opening day for sure. Yeah, yeah. Joe, um, I'm gonna, I'm actually texting you a video right now. I think I do have your cell phone uh, number of the yeah, stream in um, Port Dover, the one he's talking about, Lynn River. And, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe you mm. can. And I zoomed in on the fish. It looks like a brown, but let's see what it. I fished that. I fished that Lynn River once, and I was at this little pool, and there was like three giant carp in it, and I was throwing little olive woolly buggers at them, and they had they didn't care at all. I was <laughs> That's just so like, funny. I was like, I'll easily That's catch so one funny. of these things, and they were just like not even like like for forty minutes, like just right in the front of their face, over and over again, and they're just like, nope. Well, it's funny. There's a good example of a river that if you do nothing to it, yeah. you let the you let the, the various the three species of trout, brook trout, rainbow trout, and brown trout, you do nothing over 30 years. As the water quality degradates, you'll have one that actually will succeed in that environment until it gets so bad that nothing can live. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that river, is a, it needs a friend for sure, without question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, shore development and everything else, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's that was, I would say a lot of my openers were there. Yeah. Uh, 
um, uh, because it was it was close to where I was growing up. And in the early days, I could ride my bike or walk, awesome. uh, and uh, it was quite memorable. It wasn't until uh, I, I moved out, you know, out toward the uh, the east end that I started to see uh, these, you know, Ganaraska, Duffins, Bowmanville, right. Wilmot, those rivers, yeah. um, and uh, and that was a completely different experience for me from a trout opener. It was. Oh, a completely different experience. You actually had, in most cases, a lot of the openers that I used to go to then, you would have to go and sort of stake out your spot. Mm. So you would have to get there at 11 o'clock, maybe earlier, Yeah. you know, put up your, your little lawn chair or whatever and say, this is my spot. Yeah, back off. Back off is right. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I needed the SoFly crew back then to sort of build a posse kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. So <laughs> take over a whole section. Back. Yeah. Take yeah, over yeah. a whole section of the river. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with a trout opener without, without Joe. So, uh, Oh yeah. Cause every, every year it was with, it was with yeah. Joe. Well you uh, started fly fishing. Yeah. And we, we went out, we did, I mean, I think you started fly fishing right at the beginning of trout season. Yeah. Yes. Cause I, yeah. I, uh, I learned, I took the casting lessons uh, up in Orangeville yeah. Which I still think is a really cool trap on my favorite, one of my faves. So yeah. clean, so well kept. Um, yeah. And uh, and then yeah, then we went out. I love that. I I love fishing in a stock pond. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. So okay, cool. no, I mean, I feel like if anyone, I'm, I'm kidding, Yelma. It's just yeah. like it's funny because they're it's yeah. like oh, it's so much the high success rate. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. But if if anybody wants to learn how to cast and how to fly fish, um, that. Uh, the, the trout pond that I went to in Orangeville. Oh my God, I keep forgetting the name. Wasn't it Murray? Want... Wasn't his name Murray? Murray was the instructor. Um, <laughs> but... Yelva got less casting lessons for Christmas. It was it was a whole year. It was a whole thing. But yeah, I've got a fly rod and casting lessons for Christmas. And then I met him and he's like, I'm learning how to fly fish. And the yeah. rest is history. And you brought him to the river and he was in salt water boots. <laughs> he was in salt water boots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good times, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, I see tweed and a pipe soon for yes, Yelma. Absolutely. So. Oh, for sure. Um, okay, right, so um, you know what I realized, sure. Joe? We never Mitchie's Fishies fived you uh, because we didn't have that segment on the show when we had you on last because uh, I think it was episode eight. Will it hurt? <laughs> it won't hurt. Not like that burger you had last night. That burger no, was No, that was else. bad. That was, that, I fear <laughs> oh, that. so delicious. It looked so good. Oh, my God. Um, okay, okay, wait. I found out the name of the trap on yeah. Primrose. Okay. Primrose. Primrose. Their trout actually are very delicious. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I bought their trout from them. Just gone. Oh, cool. To buy trout because I do that now. I love eating trout, but I'd rather support a farmer than yeah, than, yeah. Bonk, than bonk a, a wild fish. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially they, a nice like, farm like that. They really keep their uh, their land amazing and uh, clean, and uh, they're just wonderful people as yeah. well. Very friendly. It's great. Anyways, I digress. Okay, so yeah, we've never Mitchie's Fishies fived you, Joe. So uh, we're going to do that now. It's the five questions that we ask every guest on the show. Five same same five questions. Um, and um, let's do it. Let's jump into it. Um, All right. Okay, so this first one of Mitchie's Fishies Five is what is your favorite fish and why? Well, uh, that's always a tough one for me, but I, I would have to go with uh, brown trout. Yeah. Um, it is the in my opinion anyways it is the intellect of the trout species uh, and it tends to provide great sport in that whereas the brook trout will come to a fly it really doesn't care it'll hit anything if it's there close enough uh rainbow trout they're they're not you know they you can catch them on dry fly yeah yeah but brown trout to me they you know out of their ability how difficult they are to catch translates to a false intellect if you will and 
I great, get great, great pleasure in, in being able to catch one of those uh, when I do. I just and I just think the aesthetic of them are amazing when you look oh, at yeah. them with the big spots. Um, and you know, as they get older and crankier, they get uglier and meaner and more <laughs> carnivore-like. So yeah, uh, I love that fish. Yeah, beautiful fish, man. Oh my god. Um, okay, number two is if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, assuming it's like the best time to go, where would you go and why would you go there? Well, it's funny, you know, I've, I have fished in many places in North America, that's for sure. I fished in Arizona, I fished in a lot of places, mm -hmm. but you always come back to someplace close to home, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and for me, it would be the, the Upper Credit River. Um, but I'm going to add a twist to this. Yeah. It would be the Upper Credit River in 1971. Okay. Um, because for me, there is just such a romance to that time then uh, the, there was less traffic on the road uh and it was just such a beautiful place then it just felt trout right it's just a different different kind of it's changed quite yeah. a bit since then yeah i mean it's pre-internet yep. um you know it's it's just a time where you go and you see the classic fly fisherman there with his vest and his pipe and his boots yeah. uh casting a wet fly uh, it's like, yeah, that's, that's fly fishing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and the water there in that particular area is very suited to that. It's, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's very similar to all the Catskill rivers in, in the cosmetics of it. And, you know, those are the stories I read growing up as a kid. So for me, more so than fishing upstate New York, which I've done, uh, or even Spring Creek in Pennsylvania, the limestones, which I love deeply for me, that particular area, uh, in that particular time yeah. is where I'd love to be. That's a great answer. I love it. Well, we'll, we'll recreate uh, 1971 as best we can this year. We'll get, <laughs> like you say, Yilma and some tweed. We'll give him a pipe and toss him in the river. It'd be good. Uh, okay, number three, Mitch's Fishies 5, is what is your best or favorite fishing memory? Trout opener memory, well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, well, I have a, a memory from a trout opener. Uh, it was probably in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great memory for me. I've had a lot for sure in my mind, but there was one in particular. I remember I was fishing with two friends and we were fishing Lynn river. And I remember, uh, we were fishing this one particular pool. We'd fished there. We got there in the dark, of course, like idiots, cast, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, it was about noon. The can of beans we brought had already disappeared <laughs> and we thought, okay, well, what are we going to do? Let's go home. So the other guys were all packed up. They're waiting for me on the path. They said, come on, come on. And I said, one more cast. So I cast a, a uh, lead wing coachman wet fly that I had bought at the local sports store. And lo and behold, I hooked a trout and it was a rainbow trout and it was 16 inches long. And it fought like crazy. My friends dropped their gear on the bridge. They ran, came running down the path. Uh, everybody jumped in the river to, to wrestle this 16-inch rainbow trout. <laughs> got it on the bank. My one friend got a log and just totally decimated it with the log. Oh, and, uh, and then the three of us, and then three of us like all put our hands around it like you would a bat if you were yeah. trying to, to. And we were all like, we success. We have, and then I remember walking home carrying this, this, this beat to dead rainbow trout. Uh, we all took turns carrying it. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you carry it long enough. I'm going to carry it yeah. the rest of the way. Yeah, we did it. We, we actually accomplished we this. We got the yeah. fish. We got the fish. Yes. We got we the fish. You didn't get the fish alone. We, yeah. you know, we <laughs> yeah. got it. I hit it with the, I hit it with the log on yeah. the bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Um, okay, number four is why do you fly fish? Well, I think I fly fish because there is a, two things, an aesthetic and a, a sense of decency yeah. um, that I love about the sport. Uh, I'm not big on competition in fly fishing. I don't, I don't like it because for me, there should be no competition in fly fishing. Mm -hmm. It should be about creating, uh, being in a situation where you can leave the world behind and all of the, the, the aspects of the world behind mm -hmm. and just enjoy the sounds, the smells, the feeling of casting uh, a fly rod with a well-tied fly. Yeah. Um, there's just something. And then, the other fly fishermen that you meet, they're polite. They share information with you. They give you space, uh, the camaraderie uh, yep. of it. Yep. Um, for me, that's what it's all about. It just, it, it, you're just not held to the same, you know, expectations you are in the rest of your life. It's just yeah. about enjoying. It's true. It is. It is yeah. like something you can just completely indulge in, yeah. you know? I mean, a great tread opener is, is that kind of day for me, you know? Yeah. Sure it is. Great yeah, breakfast, absolutely. good camaraderie, catch some fish, enjoy outside, listen to some birds. I mean, that's a good day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Number five. I'm very excited to know, Joe. I don't think we've ever asked mm -hmm. you this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Joe, if you were a fly, what would you be? If a, What fly pattern represents you best and why? So there is a great Catskill fly tire named Art Flick. And uh, he came up with a series of flies or, or refined a series of flies called variants. And specifically, there was one fly in there called a Dunn variant, D-U-N. Yeah. And that would be me. Uh, why do I love that fly? Well, it really is essentially one or two materials uh, tied to the right proportions on the right hook in the right way yeah. is an absolutely deadly fly. You know, you come, you come July, August, or even September on any river that has, uh, you know, Isonikia. Yeah. I will, I will take, I will fish, I will fish with anybody and have great success with that technique over any other technique. Uh, it's a dry fly, and it's just to me, it represents the simplicity and the elegance yeah. of what I like about things like that. You know, I like things that are so simple, but yet so elegant and can be as complex as you want because you could have people argue about the, the true color of what done is. Yeah. Right. Mm. Uh, so I have a cape that I have from the seventies uh, that if you look really closely at it, it's little flecks of brown in it, it's done, but it has little, that is what art flick. Uh, that's what brings that element to that fly. I think. That's a great fly. I mean, you explained it perfectly. It is a very, I'm looking at it right now. It's a very, like you say, pure, simple pattern that is just very um, clean, but classic looking, you know, in a way. Well, I had a friend who didn't believe in the success of uh, a pattern so simple could be so successful. So we went out on, I think it was the second week of September on the upper credit. And we walked up to where, uh, you know, fish to this one section, we started fishing. And I said, all right. I said, here you go. I said, tie one on. I gave him one. I said, you know, start fishing. I said, I'd start by that seam along that log. Well, lo and behold, first drift along the seam, 14 inch brown trout comes up and takes his, his, his variant. And he was like, he, he was like, he, like freaking out. I can't believe this <laughs> because the fish wasn't rising. The fish, the fish was looking up because of the, the tendency of the ice and to be sporadic in the way it hatches. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you don't have to find it rising. You can go and just cast and walk and cast and walk and continually catch fish on a dry fly because the hatch is sporadic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. That's awesome. Great answer. I love that. That's, that's it for well, Mitch's Fishies 5. You did well, it. Well, I, I, I survived. You survived it. You survived. You took us, okay, so you took us through history of uh, trout openers from your past, um, all the way from the early days, pre-internet to into the 80s and learning hatches and learning, you know, from uh, old guys to figure out what's on their line. Um, and, and we've gone now through some Mitchie's Fishies. Let's talk now about present day. We've done some trout openers together. Um, they're always a blast. We always have the most fun. It kicks off the whole year of fishing. Um, guys, what are some of our best memories from, from trout openers in the last few years? I mean, God, I've, last year or the year before last, one of those two was well, just like crazy. Dynamite. My, my, <laughs> my first trout opener with you guys was the day after Gab's wedding. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I was still working at pretty ugly. It was just a cocktail bar in West end of Toronto here. And there's only ever two people working there. This is only important because this is how long it takes to clean the place. Yeah. So it's, um, we would get out of there probably about 4.30, quarter to five in the morning after cleaning. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, booking the Saturday off. <laughs> yeah. But working the Friday night. And I was like, I'm just going to go straight to the river yeah. after work. I'll sleep for like a couple hours at the river and then I'll wake up and I'll just be there. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And you guys had Gab's wedding. Yeah, we did. And uh, and I woke up at the river, um, and Rob from Drift Outfitters was already in the river. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, this was like seven thirty, so I'm like I'm eating some food and putting on my waders, and he just lands this massive, like I want to say somewhere sixteen, eighteen inch brown trout. Yeah. Like wow. I see him stumbling down the river. <laughs> A la Brad Pitt in yeah. River Runs Through It. And he lands this fish. And I should have just known by right then that today was going to be the craziest trout opener I've ever had. Yeah. It was, super <laughs> it was snowing. And then the sun and then the sun came out. And then we fished the morning and I caught a couple of fish, some good fish, and then you guys showed up and Yeah, Yelma the- Remember when Yelma netted that that trout right at the right when we got in the water and he like freaked out. He almost had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah we were you guys met me up at like um further upstream yeah and uh you guys had brought burgers because you were hung over <laughs> <laughs> you gotta and i was like sweet burgers you gotta and then mitch you were like let's go meet joe yeah down at um the grange we followed the smell of cigar and found joe in the woods <laughs> and uh and we started at the grange and and yeah i hooked a fish pretty early on and yilma, yilma lost well it. yilma you tell the story Oh yeah, well he hooked he yeah he hooked up into uh, a brown. I I honestly didn't ex- like I'm new newer to the sport, so I'm super excited. And you know, Mitch and I have tried before, and we're still, still getting to know the river a little better. And then all of a sudden, like all was like got one, and I'm like, what the beep? And I ran over with my net because you know I wanted to get as a brand new fish pond net. I wanted to get it wet um, and feel some sort of success. And I, I was nervous because I didn't want to lose this brown. I mean, like, this is an epic moment. Those browns are picky. And um, I was a successful net. And I just crazy. Like, I blacked out. And I was yelling. <laughs> he blacked out. We, well, because, like, I was, I, I, 
it was like natural excitement. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. you let out like a wild man scream. I actually yeah. heard him. I was downstream and I actually heard, <laughs> and I thought someone got hit by a car. Or something. <laughs> exactly. It was like that moment when you were a kid and they hit in that trout, yeah. you know, like it was like that kind of a moment. Cause Yoma just, you know, he's just getting into the sport and he finally saw trout in his hands and he's like, holy crap. Man, this is gonna be I a think good day. Mitch Yoma and I all like hugged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It like, was the Yay. start. It was the start of the day. And it was like, you know, our first trout opener together. It was a fun moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then the and rest then, of the yeah, day it was just falling, man. And then, like you said, like you heard, you smelled the cigar smoke and then Joe yeah. materializes out of the woods. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, what are you idiots doing? <laughs> and yeah. like, what are you guys doing? Oh. Come downstream with me. Yeah. And that was it. Well, which, we did. which leads me into, um, well, cause I have a couple of good moments. Uh, one, one, a little self-serving and one that I actually quite like cause it was about learning how to, how to properly um get that fly down there or that squirmy worm i should say yeah and joe was like hey, there's one there um no one could see it it's in this pool i forget exactly where it was and he was telling me how to cast and and let the sort of the the, the squirmy worm actually sort of like get down there and i think i was doing it for like 20 minutes and he's like okay 40 i'll show you for, okay maybe 40 minutes <laughs> two hours i'll show you i'll show you first cast oh yeah there it is yeah that was hilarious was like 24 i think it was like 22 or 24 inch brown man it, it was, was a big fish. huge brown joe i still have that photo that i took it was yeah. a huge brown it was a nice fish it was can a nice the, fish can yeah, you see there the camera is. joe yes that's such a nice fish man oh my god there it is <laughs> that was one yeah. gas um oh, a little kite so on funny. that too it was yeah. that that fish was crazy i just I just, Mitch just landed a fish for me. Yeah. And as I'm landing it, Joe's like, you know, hooked up on this yeah. huge fish. Yeah. <laughs> and then I still remember, I remember it like Joe got caught in a branch or something. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to, we had yeah, to. Yeah, it's right. Un- you un- actually netted it. it for me. I, I wouldn't have landed it without you. It actually ran downstream around this log and you were, yeah. you got it with the net for me. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> fish. And I was like, this is the craziest trout opener. <laughs> it was fun. I've ever it was been crazy. Part of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you say, so, for for a couple of Ottawa people, you know, and 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 Yilma, like not really yeah. ever having trout openers, it was a it was a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. One more thing that actually felt really good yeah. was uh, it was last year, and Aldo and I were um, were on the river, and um, conservation officer comes up to us, to check, you know, make sure that we have barbless hooks, fishing with the right gear, and everything. And he, he looks at my line, he looks at my fly, and he goes, wow, you guys know what you're doing. And you guys respect the, respect the river. And that felt good. That was a nice moment. Yeah. That's, That's good. All. That's good, Yama. Yeah, man. The, the progression of knowledge and skill. It's good, man. It's extremely... Practice makes perfect. Amazing, yeah. Joe, what are you all looking right, for, what are you looking forward to this year, Joe? Uh, when it comes to trout, I mean, it's like I said, a strange time. We can't go out right now, but it's like your personal trout opener. Yeah. Well, yeah, I th- what I'm looking for is I have to say that I don't this want this to be a bit of a downer, but mm-hmm. I'm looking for things to be not as bad as they've been. Mm-hmm. So every year I go to an opener, and more people the populations and, and uh, development gets more and more and encroaches on the, the you know, what little water we have left. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the experience begins to be diminished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping that it's not that way. I'm hoping, I'm looking forward to it being uh, a, a little more decency, a little more compassion and understanding on the river um, and a little more care uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. So, yeah. and I, like I say, 
the, the, the water quality, you know, keeps getting worse. I mean, I love your, your initiative that you have now with the trash flies. That's nice. brilliant. Thank you. Uh, and I think that that's the kind of thing that can make a difference. I, that's what I'm looking forward to in the end is for things, you know, hopefully to, to, to be good and yeah. be, allow us to be able to fish, fly fish the way we want to fish yeah. and catch fish and have a good time. That's what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that, um, well, I mean, obviously we completely agree and we're trying to do that too. And drift is in, you know, other angler groups and, and anglers are doing that. I mean, there is a good, I think a positive, um, push into that direction we're seeing with different organizations, try to limit it, some drink fish, you know? Um, and I think that the more people we see fly fishing and, and, uh, getting into it and, and take it and being accepted into the community to all those point earlier, feeling like part of the community and not developing bad habits and being an asshole, um, but being part of this thing that is bigger than themselves and and it's about you know respecting the the river and the water and the fish. Um, I don't know. I'm optimistic. I, I feel like uh, I feel like that stuff could come. I hope so. I hope so too. I think so too. <sighs> yes. Uh, I, I I I loved what you said, Joe. I you know I, when I first fished the Credit River, I I really did. There is a romance to that area. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And maybe it is because it looks like those little small streams that mm-hmm. <clears throat> I fished in upstate New York. Yeah, it's reminiscent of that. But it really just is. it's just where I like to fish the most. Well, the hatches are very similar. The thing is with the Credit River that I th- attracts me the most to it and why is because it was predominantly a mayfly river. Right. Uh, because the water quality was so pristine at, in the early days. It was predominantly a mayfly and stonefly river, which require... Uh, really excellent water quality. Uh, as water quality uh, degrades and becomes less good, you have less mayflies and you have more caddisflies. You have more marginal water flies, which is fine. But there is, you know, in, buried in the, 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 the history of the sport are mayflies. I mean, Halford in England, that's where, where it all came from. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the Catskills, it's, they're all about mayflies. So again, it's, it's, it's you know, there's nothing in it other than the sort of romance and aesthetic of what a mayfly is, yeah. right? So the credit is unique in that way. The beaver and the upper beaver and uh, the, the saugeen have excellent hatches as well. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, again, a lot of mayflies too as well, which which to me is just, to me, that's really what the sport, the, you know, yeah. the, an aspect of the sport, which I, I really like. Yeah. If I was closer to the beaver, I'd probably fish the beaver because it is also a, a really special place the, of the upper beaver the yeah, most the dense beaver. the most dense hatches i've ever seen in ontario mm-hmm. are on the beaver i oh. mean so dense that when you walk into i sent mitch a picture of a uh, i have a penn state sweatshirt on that's yeah. on the, <laughs> he sent us that picture it's awesome yeah that's on the beaver and that oh. i'm standing in the middle of a, a, a spinnerfall that is so dense that you can hear their wings that's cool and when you cast your fly rod, you hear tick, 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 tick from the fly yeah. going through. It's just, that's cool. you know, and, and that was a great day in that I, there must have been billions of mayflies and one fish rising. It's yeah. like, it, it, again, it's the mystery of the sport. Why, yeah. why, why would there be a million fish rising, you know? Yes, totally. Yeah. That happened to me and Mitch. Yeah. Remember I was just thinking the Hendrickson hatch? Yeah. 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 Although I will say that that video that Aldo you shot with Mitch was beautifully done and it, it, it was so well done. Uh, catching that brown and the, and when Mitch got that brown it's really hard to catch them there because the current is really tricky oh come mm-hmm. on you know I mean uh, it's for for guys like me it's uh it's you know piece of cake piece of cake baby 
Wow. It's, it's it's more it's more just in the muscles and it's harder to explain I how to think do it. But you're a legend in your own lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't know what the, I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there, but it was fun, was man. A, I missed I missed that stuff. I want to get out there. That was a good weekend too. That was the weekend of the gathering. We went to the yes. gathering on yeah. Saturday, yeah. and then yeah. Mitch and I crashed in Fergus. Yeah, and woke up the next morning and. Fish Henderson's was great. I think that that was a great evening you had. You you guys fished a really great spot into the dark, and that's yeah. to me. You got to admit that that's there's something about the aesthetic, the smell of the evening 100%, 100%. air, mm-hmm. the smell and the feel of everything. Yeah, it's just. Oh yeah, I dream about that stuff in the winter, man. And uh, remember yeah. though, there was those like almost like cannon blasts at one point. Yeah, yeah, and it was like pitch, fire, when it was pitch I don't black. know if it was fireworks. It was dark outside. We were trying to find the trail. We were lost in the middle of the woods, and we were hearing cannons going off. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, we got to get out of here, man. This is, I don't uh... know if there were fireworks or what was going on, but it was know. like, what the heck? Well, there was. it's funny. I remember there was one trout day or one, one springtime. It wasn't the opener, but it was after the opener, and I was fishing the, the mouth of this stream that went into the lake. Yeah. And I remember sitting there, and all of a sudden, I see a splash in front of me like a like a bullet hit the water. And I thought, did I just see that? And then I see another one in front of me. And all of a sudden I see another one. And I come to the realization that I'm standing there fishing and someone's shooting a gun. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? I don't know what to do. So I I lay down on on the bank and I crawl back into the bushes. (laughs) And so I get into my car and I drive around. Well, there's two kids way up on the, on a, on a bank shooting at cans with a, a rifle. Jeez. And they're missing oh. it, and it's and it's going down to where I am and hitting the water. Oh my oh god! My god. <laughs> so, but you know what? That's the other thing about openers. Yeah, trespassing is a big deal on openers. Yeah. everybody trespasses, and they really should be careful and respect landowners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely don't trespass. Absolutely. Like, just stick to the permissible water, and like the rest of us, man, and get get the fish the hard way. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> you got to put in the time, baby. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So, well, well, trout opener is. Uh, although we uh, we weren't able to get out uh, and fish trout opener, it was awesome talking about um, all the trout openers that you've experienced and reliving some of our fun ones from the last few years. Um, you know what's next though? With trout opener comes bass opener. That's the next one coming up, and maybe that's when we'll be able to actually get out on the water and uh, and have some fun just got together. I hope. I hope so. Well, that that particular so. spot is oh, yeah. legendary for catching bass on a fly rod. Yeah, it's great, yeah. man. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh! I think about it every it's now, day. It's now my oh. own per- personal legend. Yeah. Um, you got the island there too, eh? Aldo and Mitch, remember? When we yeah, went that was fun. Oh, yeah. so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll all have our own personal trout openers, and hopefully that'll be all together. Hopefully. Well, I will probably just like I said earlier, take a drive around and just see yeah. the extent of what you know what's oh. happening. You know, mm-hmm. so see what's going on. It's always a spectacle. You know, mm-hmm. it's always a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, everybody, um, and listening to, you know, stay safe during these crazy times, be respectful. Uh, don't park in the street and trespass and whatever else. And if you can stay home, stay home. And, um, but thanks Joe for coming on the show. Honestly, it was super fun. It's always super fun talking and, uh, mm-hmm. um, thank you. It's, uh, we, we really appreciate all the, all the stories and, and the laughs. Everybody at home. Thanks for listening, um, for, to this episode. And, um, and, uh, we'll get another one coming at you next, uh, next Sunday. Check out our YouTube channel. We got some uh, stupid videos up there. Um, us <laughs> and some for- good and some good videos and, like oh, the dry some, fly one and some good ones yeah um but uh we, we've been tying flies blindfolded we're going crazy joe um, it's mainly stupid ones it's mainly, mainly stupid ones uh but check them out and uh thanks for listening and uh that's it for me mitch aldo uh thank you everybody yelma thanks for listening and joe
Thank you, guys. You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesofly.crew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.